and welcome to Hope for the Family, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. In this series, recovered family members share how they've been able to find peace and freedom as the loved ones of alcoholics and addicts through interviews and sharing their stories. For more information about our family support group, including weekly meetings, please visit magdalenhouse.org forward slash family. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this podcast, Recover Out Loud. And today on Recover Out Loud, we are going to be doing our series, Hope for the Family. I guess I would say this all the time, but it's one of my favorite series. I just learned so much from being able to interview the family member or the loved one, and it's been such a gift in my life. And so today, we're going to be interviewing our Director of Development, Kate Richter, and I'm so excited about this one because, well, many reasons, but one thing that I love about Kate, and I think you guys will hear it too, is I've never met someone who's not an alcoholic who speaks the alcoholic language so fluently and so well, fluently, like it's a second language, but I guess it is, who understands and like knows the solution. It's just, it's really, really cool. Because typically, you know, I can sometimes, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but can get defensive. You know, alcoholics are the best to speak about alcoholism, but you do such a good job. Thank you. And it's obvious that you have a big heart and big passion for it. On top of that, I'm going to mention that she was working here when I first started and was completely kind to me. Believe it or not, when I first started, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I was kind of insecure. I was still like really, I was going through a lot at home and I was just kind of the shell of a human and was really trying to grow into my career. And I always credit Chloe and Lisa for like seeing something in me and that help pulling it out. But you also saw something in me and were very encouraging and supportive and that has always stuck with me. And so... If there's anybody who deserves this promotion and this position, it is you. So I'm going to quit talking. I'm just going to let the first question is always just to give some background information about yourself. You can talk as little as five minutes or 20. I mean, just start and we'll go from there. Okay, great. I My name is Kate Richter. And first and foremost, I have the distinct privilege of serving on staff at the Magdalen House. I came on staff in, in 2019 and was immersed in the solution just like a woman that comes through our programs, which I think is really special. The, the Magdalene House is really a place not just for alcoholic women, but for their families too. And so I quickly learned about the disease of alcoholism and, and the solution. Shortly after coming on staff, we had to take my aunt to treatment. And oh, wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So I, I came on in January of 2019 I got a phone call in August. They carted her out of, and, and she'd tell you this, they carted her out of her job on a stretcher. Her BAC was 0.4. Wow. And took a couple weeks for her to decide to go to treatment. And when she did, um, my family that lived up here called me and said, we're, we're done. We don't really know what to do or how to do this. Will you take her? And I said, sure. 
called the people on staff at the time that I knew to get some direction about what that means, checked her in, came back to work the next day, and Lisa said, okay, so now you're going to have to go to a meeting, see what this is like. Um, You may not need it, you may need it, but you're going to go. And if nothing else, it'll make you better at your job. And I said, okay. Like anything in my life, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it well because I, I want to be the best at whatever it is that I do. That works in good and bad ways in my life. And so I went to a big book study just like um, the home group is for alcoholics there and sat down and heard the solution first time for the family member. And it was interesting because I was sitting there going, well, I you know, it's my aunt. This is just doesn't really uh, apply to me. But I went through it because it applied to my family of origin more than it did mm. the alcoholic in my life. It was there that I met Harrison, which I would call my true qualifier. Harrison is... So you met him at that group? I did. Wow. Mm-hmm. Harrison's mom was my sponsor at the time. And this group happens to be where quite a few of the women who work here go. Um, and so I would leave the room and go connect with the people I knew and felt comfortable with afterwards to share something that I thought was like profound or that I found profound out of something that somebody else said or that I read in the big book at the time or and it was there I met I met Harrison Harrison and I started dating shortly after that and he was really honest about who he was and where he was in recovery Um, so I have a question did he come up to you at the meeting he did Harrison Harrison. yeah (laughs) Lisa Lisa was really instrumental in Harrison's journey and so she's a safe person for mm-hmm. him, and they were going to the same group at the time. And so when I would go see Lisa, he would come up. And I think one of the first times, we both went to the same college for a little while. And so one of the first times I saw him, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have you know, that same shirt. I went there, too. And from there, we started. I mean, we saw each other once a week, twice a week for a while. And then he finally asked me on a date, told me his story on date one. Wow. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction and your thought to hearing all of that on date one? You know, I thought it was I thought it was brave and bold to be willing to share that. I appreciated that he was authentically himself and he didn't have any reservations about who he was and the way sickness had manifested in his life. Because I'm a big believer that the 12 steps and the spiritual solution found in the big book is applicable to anybody, whether mm-hmm. you're an alcoholic addict or not. It just manifests in my life differently than it did in Harrison's, but we, we still all suffer from the same sickness. And so I, I thought it was really cool that he was confident enough to be able to do that because at the time I wasn't. It's so funny. He'll tell you that one of the favorite parts of the date for him was him turning around and asking what my story was. And I said, I'm not ready to share that with you yet. Really? And he was like, okay. And that stood out to him. What stood out to me was hearing his story and then later on watching him interact with somebody he was trying to help that would come past where he would work every day. He was trying to help him get to the 2-4. We just take him to lunch. He was, was a homeless man. He knew him by name, interacted with him. That was my favorite part of the date because it showed Wonderful. that he didn't just talk the talk. Like He didn't just sit in front of me and say, like this is what my life is. He showed me what it looks like because we were sitting on a bench and this guy passed him. He called out to him by name was so excited to see him because he hadn't seen him in a while. Just to know that he was alive and doing okay for the moment meant a lot to Harrison. He had a 15-minute conversation with him. How inspiring, huh? Yeah, yeah. Did he inspire you to be a better person? He did. Yeah. He did. We dated for about a year and a half, 
um, through the start of the pandemic. And then I just, no, sorry, we dated for about a year, just shy of a year mark. I caught the first lie. Mm. We were on vacation with my family and it was over something small and stupid. Was he getting high at this point or was he on the way to? On the way to. Okay. This was about, and it, was, it really was dumb. He had a vape and he was just lying to me about that. And, you know, I, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. What does bother me is feeling like you have to keep something a secret. Yeah. That was huge for me. I came home, called Lisa, because I was on family vacation. So the way I had to handle that was hard because it was my family. It wasn't his. Mm-hmm. I came home, called Lisa, and she said, get ready. You know? Like she knew he was going to relapse. Oh, yeah. Wow. And by... January, end of December, early January of 2021, he had relapsed. I didn't know at the time. So when was the first lie? July. July. And of so, 2020. So July by 2020 was the first lie. And then how long after was the relapse? A few months. December. Few months. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know it. I knew things were weird. It's funny. Now that I've gone through it with him... I see the pattern that happens with everybody. You know, like the, the different things mm. manifest differently for people, but there are certain things he does leading up to it that if I would have known, I could have seen it, but I didn't. You know, what's weird though is I do know <laughs> and I still didn't see it. So, I mean, who knows, right? It's so hard to see like it was hard. close up, I think. Yeah, so... Flash forward to 2021, second year of the pandemic, uh, right before Valentine's Day, we were starting to talk about marriage. I was kind of starting to pick things out. He was talking to my parents about rings all the while he was drinking. Oh, and you had no idea? I had no idea. Wow. And then his roommates found out that he was on dating apps. Oh, wow. And... You can stop me if this isn't important, but it, it led up to this whole situation blowing up. Well, you know what led to Isaac's relapse. Mm-mm. One of the things. Dishonesty was huge. Infidelity, he was cheating on me. So. Yeah. So his, his roommates at the time, one of them was Lisa's son. And Lisa's son brought it to Lisa and said, Mom, this is going on, and I don't think she has any idea. And Lisa called Harrison and said, if you don't tell her, I will. You have 24 hours. Wow. And so he called me Friday morning before work. I'll never forget it. It was right after I had given my two weeks notice to go work for Make-A-Wish. No way. And Friday morning we had those COVID check-ins. Yes. And I got on and I was, I just uncontrollably sobbed. I was never on those because it was my day off. Afterwards, Lisa called and said, I guess you know. And that broke me. Because it was then I realized, oh my gosh, how many people know about this and I didn't. I was ashamed. But why would you know? I had no reason Unless to know. you were on dating apps, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And so that really got the ball rolling for me to go, okay, I, I don't know if I trust you. I've got to pull back. And it was story after story, lie after lie, excuse after excuse of justification of behavior. Mm-hmm. And I loved him. Yeah. And I thought, you know, what love means for me is that you, you, 
you stick it out and you try to find a way to forgive that person. So that was beginning of February. Started a new job, kind of got to separate myself from the recovery world for a little while. Did you want to separate yourself from the recovery world? So originally I did because I felt sure that that needed to happen if Harrison and I were going to take this next step forward and get engaged because that needed to be his. I didn't need to be enmeshed in that. I I felt like he needed to have his own thing. Mm -hmm. So originally that's why. After that happened, I went, okay, this it's really good for me for a lot of reasons to be able to step out of this and go do my own thing away from him, away from all of it. Because, you know, at the time he was my issue. Yeah. Um, And so we'll get to that in a minute. Started my new job. I'm so glad you came back, by the way. Yeah, me too. Yeah. We reconnected around Snowmageddon when everything was locked down. I agreed to dinner at his place when the snow and ice happened and locked us all in place for like three days. And so I was stuck there. And I was miserable and worried that my parents were going to catch me there and I was going to have to answer to them about what I was doing at Harrison's. Mm. Because they knew. And he wanted me to get the hell out of there so he could drink. Wow. (laughs) Neither one of us knew that. Wow. About a month after that, he went to a wedding and I told him I wasn't going to go with him. I was supposed to be a state. And he used and drank at the wedding and ended up driving home in the middle of the night. I was frantic. It was lots of things that didn't make sense. Choices that I didn't know him to make. Uh, it was it was the first time I f- truly felt like I was dealing with a different human being than the one I knew. I went over to his place when he got back and I didn't know what I was going to find. Mm-hmm. And he was like a shell of himself crying and shaking and afraid and again had a justification for what had happened and I believed it I rationalized it in my mind that it was just one hit of a pin that ended up not being what he thought it was and that made him go nuts and I was like yeah because I I, I've never done any of that you want to know something crazy is I remember one time where I drug tested Isaac and I've worked in this field in this industry for four years I've been sponsoring and everything for longer than that and I know that like drug tests don't lie Mm -hmm. for I mean for the most part and he failed for opiates and he had me convinced or thinking well maybe it was a fake positive I know (laughs) right (laughs) but like I I remember I called uh, who was going to be, who would have been my sponsor or who she was about to be my sponsor. But I was like, well, maybe it is a fake positive. And she just goes, girl, if you ever wonder if something's a fake positive, will you just call me next time? Because I don't, it's crazy just how we want to believe what our loved one is telling us. Yep. And that's exactly what happened to me. I called Lisa and I was like, hey, Lisa, like, I know I told you things were weird, but this is what happened and it totally makes sense. And he called his sponsor while I was there and it's fine. And she goes, don't believe that. Don't. Wow. Be- that's not the truth. If you believe that as the truth, you're more delusional than he is. Wow. And then I got pissed. Oh. I, <laughs> I bet. And he, so this, this was, this happened on a Sunday. I met him on Tuesday after he went to his group. And he was like, 
I've talked to my sponsor and I have a plan about how I want this to go, but I want to hear your side of it first because I realized that like I broke the trust here and I, I want to hear what you think before I tell you what my plan of action is going to be. And I looked at him and I was like, you mean you, t- you don't want to talk about how you got drunk and high and that's where we are? You, you want to keep going on down this path because I don't believe you. And he was just dumbfounded. I laid into him and I said, look, you've got a decision to make. You figure it out. I love you and I'm here to support you, but I'm not going to be a part of this mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. I can't. Up and down, high and low, did things I probably shouldn't have, did things that I didn't feel like were wrong. Mm-hmm. And months later, after lots of scary phone calls, thinking that every time it was going to be that he was in an accident. He was hurt. He hurt somebody else. He was in the hospital. He needed to be bailed out of jail. All of those, all of those situations happened. And he finally said, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Can you help me? And I said, the only thing I can do is take you to the 2-4. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. And I did. And now he's a house manager and things are good. That's wonderful. And he's very supportive of you, right? Yeah. I remember one time I said to you, he is so lucky to have you because it's true. You're amazing. And he clearly knows that. But you said, I'm lucky to have him too. Again, that makes part of you what's so amazing is you're just so humble and kind. You said, I've, uh, he's taught me a lot. He has. So what has he taught you? I come from a blended family system. Come from a family system where a lot of times if there's conflict, we sweep it under the rug and we move on. Mm-hmm. Boundaries weren't something that I was taught. And sitting down and confronting emotions and moving through resentment to true forgiveness was something I never experienced. When I first met Harrison, I kind of understood what that meant because I was watching him work through things. And then he relapsed, and I really got to understand what forgiveness was. Mm. Because in order to stick that out with somebody, in order to try to make the relationship work on the other side, I've got to be willing to move past that and get over my resentment and, my, and, and forgive him for his whole past. And how are you able to do that? Through a high power. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have done it on my own. There are are plenty of times where I'll have conversations with my parents or my friends, and I'm like, yeah, Harrison, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you you trust that? And I'm like, yeah, it's really weird, but I do. Probably shouldn't. Like, all of the human in me kind of looks at it and goes, that's strange that you're just, like, right back in it. But I am because Mm -hmm. I have to be. Yeah. One of the things that I respect a lot from all of like the family members and loved ones that I've interviewed is nobody tells another family member what to do with their relationship. Everybody kind of gives them the space to be able to decide what's the best thing for them to do between like themselves and their higher power, which I think is fantastic. I was given recommendations. You were. I was. And I tried all of them. The first recommendation I was given was to cut off all contact. Okay, let him go. Well, see, because that's kind of where like my thought goes, right? Mm-hmm. But it's because 
you know, consequences make us willing and like get them to the bottom as fast as they can. And why do they need to rely on God if they have a human power and blah, blah, blah. And which is just like self-reliance in another form. Yeah. And believe me, I tried that. Yeah. But it wasn't work. Like it, it, it didn't work for me. Yeah. I'm sure it works for some people. It, it didn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so then. How long were you able to cut them off for? Two, three weeks, maybe. I bet that was hard. It was hard. And I say cut them off. Like, our worlds are so connected now that it was cut off, but not really. Like, I could, there were any number of people I could call to get an update Mm -hmm. that wasn't directly from him. Right. So I don't really know that that counts. But, you know, I wasn't directly speaking to him, so I count it. Mm -hmm. Lisa, thankfully, finally looked at me and said, look, this obviously isn't working for you. This is worse for you than you trying to wade through it. So learn to hold some boundaries and dip your toe back in it. See if this is really what you want. And so I did. And it was hard, you know. But I I can remember specifically towards the end, he had a work thing down in Belton, where I'm from. I was driving back through Waco. I was drunk and wrecked the car that he was in and was stuck. And this was when I thought things were going well. Man. That we were on like a, like a good streak. I called him to check in because I hadn't heard from him. And we're both big on text me when you get home. Like, let me know you're safe. I can be asleep, but yeah. send me that text. And I hadn't heard anything. And so I picked up the phone and I called. And his words weren't making sense. And he kept hanging up the phone at random times. And I was like, here we go. So I tried to put my phone away. My roommates were both out of town. It was hard. And finally, he picked up the phone and said, I'm stuck. And I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? And he was like, can you help me? And it, I only helped when I was asked. I, I tried really hard to draw that line and say, I'm here and I support you, but I, I'm not going to save you. Mm-hmm. You have to ask me. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Um, I think it's right for you. And it for was him, right for me. You know, for your guys' relationship. But that's 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 kind of what that looked like for me to step back in. And that's what worked. Now, you worked the steps, right? I did. Okay. Was that before your relationship with Harrison? Mm-hmm. So you came into a relationship having tools. Yes. That's that helpful. That was huge. Yeah. It taught me to, to not think about anything in my life as circumstantial. I like that. Harrison's relapse strengthened my relationship with my higher power in a way that I don't think anything else could. Oh, I get it. It forced me to look back at my whole life and realize that I wasn't in the moment by accident. It wasn't an accident that I had worked in a place of recovery, that I found it and worked there for almost a year before I had my first interaction with somebody in my life who suffered from the disease. It wasn't an accident that then I knew what to do. It wasn't an accident that then I fell in love with somebody who suffers from the disease. And then I knew how to navigate it to Mm. an extent. Or I knew that I couldn't navigate it on my own and needed people needed to rely on my higher power to get through it. Mm -hmm. And being able to look back and see how every moment had been so purposefully articulated to get me to that point let me know that it it was all going to be okay I didn't know how it was going to be okay but it would mm-hmm. because everything had been okay to that point mm-hmm. does that make sense absolutely 
I completely relate to that, to a relapse strengthening your relationship with God. Because at that point, it's, what Either else do you have? Isn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is our choice to be? I'm completely powerless over this situation. There was nothing I could do. Yeah. So at that point, because he was about, he was out for about nine months of your guys' relationship, correct? Mm-hmm. Was there a point in there where you were going to walk away? Oh, multiple times. And yeah. what, what made you, nine months is a, is a while to stay in it with someone. What made you stay? You just knew that that was the right thing to do? Or were you worried that it was never going to get better? Yeah, all of those things. It helped that we had almost a year of knowing what he was like recovered. Yeah, which is a completely different person. Completely different person. It's crazy, huh? And so knowing that there was hope to hold on to, I knew what the relationship was, and I, I knew because of the people that surround me how much stronger the relationship could be if he was willing to do the work to get better. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to see if that was a possibility. So how did you keep the relationship going while he was in active relapse, active addiction? How did you keep that going? Did you guys talk on the phone? Did you hang out? Did you go on dates? Or were you kind of just watching from afar? Or All of those things happened <laughs> in nine months. There were times where it was best for me to watch from afar, and that's what I did. There were times where it just had to be by phone because I couldn't. I, I, it was it was too hard to look at a shell of who my person was. Mm. And then there were times where we hung out in person. It's interesting, and I, I believe him when I say this, that any during those nine months where he was actively using whenever, wherever, whatever he could, it was never when he knew that we were going to be together. And that was probably in hindsight because then he knew he would for sure get caught. Oh, I, yeah, I guess so. But... I always interacted with a sober person, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily a recovered person, but a sobered person. So you dropped him off at the 2-4, and he's been sober ever since then, right? No. No. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. So nope. there was, So you've been around for a few relapses then. Mm-hmm. So did you experience the, like the getting the hope and then watching it slip away or waiting for the other shoe to drop and those types of anxieties or Mm -hmm. emotions how did you deal with those what would you say to somebody who is experiencing that you watch and you pray yeah we were two months into the two four and he continued to pop for marijuana because he knew he came into the two four with it in his system and so he drug it out for the first few weeks and they finally said sorry isaac did that too (laughs) and so he got kicked out then went and drank and used but I, I just kind of watched, you know. I, I got the phone call that was, well, I got kicked out for this, and I did whatever I did, and I just said, okay. So he was honest about it. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, and I, I you know, it's just, okay, what do you want me to do about it? It's not my responsibility. I can't find you a place. You can't move into my place. Yeah. Did he ever What's, want to – did he ever try to move into your place? Mm-mm. So wow. Again, funny how – You're healthy. My, well, <laughs> it's also funny just how, like, talking – going back to how I was talking about everything was articulated for a purpose, 
I don't know if I could have said no if I was still living by myself. Um, but right before the train got on the track, so to speak, with the first lie, I decided I didn't like living by myself anymore and I moved in with roommates. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot easier than if you're living so by yourself. It wasn't an option. Yeah. And it. I, I'll say this. That's really easy to say as somebody who thankfully for the moment isn't having to do that right now. Mm-hmm. That's hard. And yeah. And the only way that I could do that with confidence is to then turn around and hit my knees and pray. Are you a loved one of an alcoholic? Our family support group serves as a community for friends, loved ones, and family members of alcoholics to learn about alcoholism, understand how to help an alcoholic, and experience an improved quality of life regardless of the alcoholic's recovery. We have weekly support meetings that meet virtually and in person, as well as a monthly speaker meeting. To find out more about our family support group, visit magdalenhouse.org family. So when did you start noticing him getting well this time? When did, when did you start feeling like, okay, this might be it? When it was no longer about trying to prove to everybody that he was getting well. That's good. So what was the difference then between before and this time? There was no like report on this is what I'm doing today or this is where I'm going to be or, or anything unsolicited. That's, that's kind of what I started to notice. Like I, I didn't ask because it's not my program. And if, I'm, if he's not working it, that's going to be bad for him, not going to be bad for me. Because you have a solution now. Right. Yeah. And when I stopped getting unsolicited reports on this is how I'm doing today, (laughs) I started to notice that, okay, you know, you no longer, it's no longer about wanting everybody externally to know that you're doing okay. You're okay with knowing inside you're okay and that's all that matters. I don't want to speak for him, but... External circumstances controlled a lot for him. Yeah. I mean, like they do a lot of us. It was no longer about that. He had just finally gotten to a point where, and he'll tell you this, it was either I can drink and die or I can go figure out how to make it work. And he's now actively working with the sponsor and doing all of the things. Mm -hmm. So on that note, how is it dating someone that you have to share your that you have to share time with, you know, to who has to go to these meetings and these commitments and meet with sponsees and, and all of that stuff. I'm annoying about it. We literally just had this conversation yesterday because I was talking to him about something that I heard going on on a Thursday, and he was like, but Thursday night is date night. And I whipped around, and I was like, don't you ever prioritize date night ever again over being able to interact with a newcomer. Don't do it. Wow. Well, that is not the norm. But that's also probably not healthy for me to do. And I later on apologized and said, I'm sorry, I didn't address that appropriately. But I guess I understand and I have my own stuff too that I like to do alone. I'm. It helps that I'm, I'm a pretty independent person, I yeah. think. I have a, a small group and I have a good group of girlfriends and 
my family doesn't live here and I'm really close with them and so I go home a lot and I think because I have a set of balls that I juggle and prioritize and I have a crazy schedule it doesn't bother me that Mm -hmm. somebody else has set things that they have to do part of me too really admires it yeah like him talking to the homeless person by name yeah yeah so from from that standpoint it's really easy for me to say yeah take the call now are there times where I get frustrated yeah but I mean at the end of the day if I look at why I'm getting frustrated it's about me right wow see he's very lucky to have you I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, don't, I dated a normie, and maybe he was just an unhealthy normie. I don't know. But he was not like that. He got frustrated and angry, and it was like, you can get a babysitter for this, but, like, you can't get a babysitter for us. And because if I'm asked to go be of service in some way, I'm going to say yes, and I'll get a babysitter. Mm-hmm. But... If it's for leisure time or date time or something like that, like I really have to look at it, you know? And so I can see how somebody would feel like they're not being supported or not a priority, but it seems like you don't ever feel that way. Not when it's, this is more like a relationship question to me, not when it's about a commitment or um, a service opportunity. We have had conversations about, I don't appreciate when you need to check the score for every game that's going on when we're together because... Nice. What is he like? Oh, anything. Basketball? Yeah. Right now it's (laughs) basketball and golf. Um, When it's football season, it's then football season. And he was a big tennis player, so he keeps up with tennis. Like It's every... He loves sports, and that's great. I do too. So does my family. It's awesome. We typically like the same teams, so it's really fun. But when we're together and sports feel like more of a priority, then I have a problem. I get it. I get and then it. The, the beautiful part is then he'll turn around and say, okay, but you're on your phone doing this or you're distracted by this over here or whatever. And so it's a good balance system, mm-hmm. I guess. Like it's not one-sided at all. And he has a sponsor that he can talk to and mm-hmm. tools and, and yeah. so he probably – at least looks at it I assume yeah 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 that's nice isn't it yep it's nice to get the response back that's a valid concern what can I do to fix that and make it better (laughs) well let me tell (laughs) you oh that's so wonderful so first of all what a god thing you were just kind of like dropped into this world right Mm -hmm. I knew nothing it's so funny to this day I still think it's hilarious that I'm I'm about five I'm sorry. I'm four and a chunk away from when I first took a job here. And I remember sitting in the interview with Lisa. She asked if I had any relation or any knowledge of alcoholism. And I said, eh, we think my aunt like may have a problem. And she's like, okay. And I said, but I really like your mission um, that it's women helping women. That means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. I love um, that too. Coming from, I, I was raised by a single mom. And so it means a lot. It's very empowering to me. I think it's awesome. 
and then she asked where I wanted to be in five years, which is funny because I'm coming up on that mark. And I said, that's amazing. I want to be working for Dallas Casa. <laughs> and here I am. My life has been totally changed by this place. It's always fun getting to say that too and explaining why because a lot of times I'm doing that with a glass of wine in my hand and people look at me funny. And I'm like, no, this place changed my life just like it can change the life of an alcoholic woman and let me tell you why because being here and learning about this transforms this mm-hmm. which for our listeners she's pointing to the big book oh, and yes. then to her heart sorry <laughs> forgot because I feel like I'm just sitting here talking to you and so it's it's cool because it saved my life too and it does though it does it transforms the heart mm-hmm. wow so you wanted to work for Dallas Casa I did yeah I did a lot of work for them in college, kind of just when I had time and through different organizations I was a part of. And, you know, I had, even though I come from a blended family and we have our problems, I had such an awesome childhood and it broke my heart that kids don't. Some kids don't. And so I was like, great, I can help to make that better and this is how I can do it. And now it's so cool to see my perspective on that Mm -hmm. shift. I make kids' lives better every day. I was literally just thinking that, yeah. Not directly, like being a CASA would, I suppose, but I fix the root of the problem, or I help to fix the root of the problem. And really... By doing what what we do. Yeah, and what does a child want more than anything but their mommy? Mm -hmm. And you get to to take part in that. Helping mothers helps the whole family. Absolutely. And so it's a beautiful beautiful thing to get to be a part of. I'm so, like, blown away sometimes to see people who are just naturally good. (laughs) Like, Like you, you're just naturally good and kind-hearted and I had to almost die before I became I don't if I had if I didn't have like a disease that was going to kill me if I didn't find God and help others like I don't know I don't know if I would be like you I hope I would but probably not has that always been have you just always had this longing to help others and to help people and I knew that my job had to mean something yeah I always Um, had that too and so then I found out the easiest way to do that was the nonprofit sector. And so that's what I started to chase after. But I'll tell you this, and I won't go too much in detail because it's not appropriate for this podcast. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine shortly after working here. And she wasn't in a very good place. And she said, I don't understand how you're able to work here and hang out with all of us when you're not one of us like it it doesn't make sense to me how you can have so much compassion and understanding for who we are and I looked at her and I said I'm no different than you the hard in my life and the issues that I've gone through and everything I had to overcome or get better from looked different but it was still hard Mm mm-hmm I don't see it as you guys being a bad person because I hope that when I was going through hard things, people didn't see it as me being a bad person. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because it's a spiritual sickness and a spiritual solution, we're all spiritually sick around something. Mm-hmm. What was your spiritual sickness around? Can I ask that? Yeah, sure. A lot of things. The biggest one was I needed to be, and I kind of touched on this at the very beginning, I I needed to be perfect. I had a lot of fear around that. 
around not being put together at all times, around not being the smartest or the best or the prettiest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that sounds really vain. And I mean, I'm a three on the Enneagram, so I get it. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> it even says they have to be the smartest or the prettiest in the room. Yeah. I'm a five, and so that means that I have uh, – fives are kind of know-it-alls. Mm. Oh, yeah, you told me that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I guess I really – I really struggle with that I see more now coming into adulthood is greed not in like a financial sense but more in just a sense of like I feel like I always have to have more more knowledge Mm. more success more time more sugar more you know like like, not satisfied yes I can't just sit where I am now has the program helped you with that fear and that perfectionism and everything Mm -hmm. You know what's really cool, and you can relate to this too, is being perfect isn't helpful to anybody or inspiring. No. And you can actually be more helpful and more inspiring by like embracing your humanness mm-hmm. and your imperfections. Every bit of my past is helpful to me today, even these last nine months of my life in dealing with hair scent. You know, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am without it. And regardless of how the rest of my life plays out, I'm always going to be thankful for it. So what's your relationship with Harrison like today? Beautiful. Healthy. That's so awesome. We laugh. We cry. It's safe again. For a really long time it wasn't. But that's not just because he got better. It's because I'm working on getting better. Yeah. You know, just because someone gets well doesn't mean all of your issues around trust and fear of the other shoe dropping go away. Mm -hmm. Just because I have relatively healthy boundaries doesn't mean I don't experience that. But it's a safe place to talk about them. What do you see for the future for you guys? Or do you think about that? I do. I didn't for a long time. I do now. I'm hopeful for the future. I'm big on not feeling like I'm backing him into a corner of what I want, but I'm hopeful that the future always contains him. I feel like that's the most PC correct answer I can (laughs) give you. (laughs) Oh, no. I think that was a perfect answer. Now... You said that like you're you're grateful for your past and your experience, including the last nine months. What is one thing that this experience has has taught you that you can now carry in to be helpful for the future, or that can help you in other areas of your life? If that makes sense, in what I'm asking, it does. First and foremost, without getting like too philosophical, is because I worked the steps before Harrison's last relapse I understood the disease and the solution logically Mm. but I didn't understand it to the depth that I do now because I've had to walk through it in a different way Mm -hmm. does that make sense absolutely yeah experience it makes all the difference yeah so I, I think that's the biggest thing is like I took the knowledge from understanding the disease logically like thinking about the steps like I'm I'm a very logical thinker like it's point a point b point c like I don't like it when things go 
all around and mm-hmm. like like you drop a ping pong ball in a box and it just bounces everywhere I don't like that I like linear patterns and in working the steps before it was a very linear thing for me I did this and then I did this and it was like a little checklist and it went on and now I understand that that's not that's not it at all it's a continual process that you may bounce around on you know I thought you, you do the third step prayer and then you're done no I have to do that like every day mm-hmm. you have to take an inventory of yourself every day I don't know it's it's um it's a new way of living that provides a freedom that I didn't have before because it's no longer like a logical thing it's just a part of who I am does that make sense yeah completely makes sense and it's what solidifies like everything yeah there's a difference between knowing that a higher power exists and trusting them with your whole life mm-hmm. like I logically knew all of the things in the big book these last nine months made me go okay but do you trust what's there mm-hmm. I love that that's really good so what's in the future for Kate Richter like not if we're taking Harrison completely out of the picture now where do you see yourself in five years what are your hopes what are your dreams what are your plans what are your plans for Maggie's tell me all of it well first and foremost I'm stepping into this role this new role as the director of development I've been here for I guess a month now and so I'd just like to grow I'd like to grow there you know I've never managed people before and I'm managing people now I'm in charge of a bunch of things that were required to happen to make this place work. And so I'd, I'd like to grow there. But I'd also like, I'd, I'd like for that growth to help Maggie's grow. What is one thing that you are most proud of with Harrison? Hmm. There's a lot of things. I have to prioritize it to just one. You can say like two maybe. Okay. I'm proud of the way he now chooses to do things in the quiet I think that's really hard like he he lives a very out loud life and I'll tell you his story obviously he's quick to do that it's it's very admirable to me that he can live his recovery out loud and turn around and pray to God in secret and then not go scream to the heavens I prayed God I prayed to God today you know what I mean like there's a fine balance in that that's for amazing me. and it's it's really I don't know like it Teresa says all the time and and her brick on the wall says this that humility is perpetual quietness of the heart and Harrison's very loud about his recovery but his heart is quiet it's beautiful and then this is like super cliche but his service to others is remarkable at every sober living it seems he's been one of the only ones with a car and so he drives people around all the time and I guess now thinking back to your question if there's one thing that drives me nuts is it's the amount of times he has to like cart people here there and everywhere and he's always willing to do it and that's the one thing when he calls and he's like well I have to give so-and-so right here I'm like why like that person can figure out how to get there if they really want to figure out how to get there. But he's just quick to do it because he has the resource and is willing to be of service in that way. Like he looks at everything through a perspective of service. And I think that that's really admirable too because I can get really selfish really quick when it starts to 
deplete my resources. Um, those are two. Those are the two big ones that come to mind. That's awesome. What would you want to say to somebody who is in your position but doesn't have the knowledge and the experience that you do in the sense like if you were talking to someone who is dating an alcoholic, what's either like one thing that you wish you would have known or like a piece of wisdom or anything or somebody who's struggling if if someone was going to see this and be like, oh, this person has experienced dating an alcoholic I'm going to listen to this and then something happens and they only get to hear one thing what would you want them to hear it's the most incredibly beautiful journey that you're in for whatever it looks like I feel like in in my position it's you all do such a beautiful job of letting women know every day five or six times a day in a meeting and more so than that that there is hope and there is a solution for their disease and I feel like sometimes we forget about telling the family that there is hope and there is a solution for you no matter where your alcoholic or addict is Mm -hmm. that's awesome it's a hard thing to grasp let me tell you yeah but it's true no it absolutely is well this has been wonderful thank you Is there anything that you want to say? Anything we didn't talk about? Yes. Yes. Um, Okay, so I've spoken to the person who maybe is dating somebody and is happily walking through that relationship with a recovered individual. I've spoken to somebody who is maybe struggling. I think the final thing I will say to each of those individuals is to pick up your big book if you have one and if you don't, order one. And read the two wives chapter again and again and again and again and again um you'll get something new out of it every time oh is that that henry ford quote is that in there to the wives i think so Uh, i wish i knew what page but that's i was literally thinking of that quote when you were talking if you have loved what you heard ladies and gentlemen please leave us a review your review matters your review can help save a life we have had women who have found our services through listening to this podcast and your review helps make the podcast more accessible and so what we just learned from kate here is that these are life-saving services and a life-saving solution not just for an alcoholic but for a loved one as well Um, and so our family support group here is also at no cost And I will put the information for that in the show notes. Anyways, let us know what you took away. Upload it to your Instagram stories. Tag the Magdalene House. Share with a friend. I'll be happy to hear from you guys. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, This is the best job in the world. And I'm so grateful I get to do it. Bye. podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.